Hello, everybody, and welcome to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I am your host. This podcast is about my personal experiences, stories, and events with dealing with borderline personality disorder, otherwise known as BPD. My experiences with BPD is due to my wife, now ex-wife, who I have been with for 34 years, was diagnosed with BPD in 2012. And I want to share my experiences with you so that if you are someone who has somebody in your life with BPD, that you may relate to what I'm saying along with my personal tips and suggestions that may or may not work in your specific situation. And if you are someone who has been diagnosed or think you may have BPD, that you may recognize the signs and understand the havoc and turmoil that it can have around people that are involved in your life. Let me caution you that I am in no way qualified or certified in the field of mental health and that my personal suggestions are merely my personal opinion and do not recommend that anybody take any mental health therapy into their own hands, but to personally seek out the help from a professional in the field of mental health. And furthermore, if you are a couple, you might even consider counseling to help further your relationship a little bit better. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to uh, the Walking on Eggshells podcast. Today's episode is uh, about triggers. Um, triggers are something that sets off an episode uh, with somebody that has borderline personality disorder. It's a very confusing but important subject um, because even though triggers are a big part of setting off episodes with somebody with BPD, the, your individual situation um, has its own triggers and this episode might provide a little bit more clarity. Um, I'll be reading a few excerpts from some research I did online, um, as well as personal experience with um, triggers of what I've learned. And um, I hope that I'll help you in your particular situation. So with that being said, thank you again, and let's get on with the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening. Today is March 12, 2020, and it is 10 p.m., and today I'd like to discuss triggers and people with borderline personality disorder, or you might hear me refer to it as BPD, um, have triggers, and these triggers can be the most simplest, um, even just one word, an action, a look, um, a uh, a misunderstanding of um, a, uh, a sentence, or sometimes even uh, in the tone of your voice. It can be verbal, nonverbal. Uh, it's very tricky. And over 32 years of being with my wife, there are still even new triggers that have developed. Uh, sometimes they replace old ones. Sometimes they add um, to old ones. It's, it's a constant battle of learning these triggers. And um, I personally care about her enough to 
start learning these triggers and how to avoid them. Um, but again, that's why this um, podcast is called Walking on Eggshells. Um, I'd like to uh, start off my podcast with um, reading verbatim um, some research that I have done. Um, this particular um, excerpt that I'm going to read is from VeryWellMind.com. Um, obviously, to give them some credit. Um, but it says here, defining a trigger. It says, you may have heard the term trigger before, but not exactly what this means. Unusually, a trigger refers to some event that brings on a major exasperation of BPD symptoms. This event can be external, as in something that happens outside of yourself, or internal, meaning something that happens inside your mind, like a thought or a memory immediately following by a trigger. One or more of your BPD symptoms may intensify significantly. Triggers are events that make you feel as your symptoms are going off the charts. Um, and of course, the next one says relationship triggers, which um, I deal with a lot. It says the most common BPD triggers are relationship triggers or interpersonal distress. Many people with BPD experience intense fear and anger, impulsive behavior, self-harm, and even suicidally. Um, in the wake of a relationship, in relationship events that make them feel either rejected, criticized, or abandoned. This is a phenomenon called abandonment or rejection sensitivity. For example, you may feel triggered when you leave a message for a friend and do not receive a call back. Perhaps after placing the call, you wait a few hours and then start having thoughts like, she's not calling back, she must be mad at me. These thoughts may spiral from there into things like, she probably hates me. I'll never have a friend who sticks by my side. With these spiraling thoughts come spiraling symptoms, such as intense emotions, anger, and urges of self-harm. Um, the last one says cognitive triggers. Sometimes you may be triggered by eternal events, such as thoughts that can seemingly come out of the blue. This is particularly true for people who have BPD related to traumatic events like child abuse. I'll stop there. Um... As a matter of fact, um, like I said, with triggers, it's, I don't want to say my favorite subject, but, <clears throat> excuse me, the most important subject that's been happening, especially recently with me in my um, relationship with my wife, um, it's the simplest things. Like, one day I, I was flipping through the channels um, to find a movie for us to watch, and there was a movie on Lifetime, um, Movie Network, and the movie happened to be called um, The Husband's Secret Wife. Unfortunately, there was two triggers there. The first one was the channel, Lifetime Movie Network. We used to watch that channel a lot at a time when we didn't have a place to uh, live immediately and we had to stay with my parents. And we used to watch that channel all the time. So immediately that triggered a period that um, was very, very horrible uh, for all of us. Um, because her um, episodes uh, triggered anger in my mother, my stepdad. Um, so it, it was turmoil. So that brought back memories of that period, which um, she brings up all the time she hated. Trigger number two, her husband's secret wife. Because she always uh, falsely accuses me of um, having a, a side girlfriend. Um, she has accused me of also being married on the side, having babies on the side, um, Stuff like that. So those were two major triggers. Now, I have to know her for 32 years. I should have known. I should have known. But sometimes some of the old triggers 
that she has have gone away. So I figured maybe this would go away because our relationship lately has been um, um, growing a little bit more. And I figured maybe these would be old triggers that might have gone away. But unfortunately, they didn't. And it spiraled out of control to the point where an hour later, she told me to leave and I had to drive an hour um, to where I was staying. Um, one of the other triggers that has been um, for a long time um, is going to the bathroom um, anytime after it's kind of like bedtime when, when the house winds down and you know it's time to go to bed watch a movie or go to sleep or whatever and um, one night I well I had been drinking a lot of coffee throughout the day which I normally do but an excessive amount this day and um, I, I knew that was a trigger and still has been and I was holding it, holding it. Finally, I could not hold it anymore. This is uh, 12.30 at night, and um, I got up, and I made sure, I, you know, especially if she's sleeping, that that's one thing, because she thinks I'm sneaking off. Now, she was awake, and I told her, I said, I gotta go to the bathroom really bad. The bathroom is literally, um, from our bedroom door to the bathroom door, maybe 10 feet, and it's literally, the wall between our bedroom and the bathroom is a, a drywall. Anyways, so um, I go to the bathroom and um, no more than two minutes come back in the bedroom and As soon as I lay in the bed um, Excuse my language. She said uh, all you shitbags get caught sooner or later um, The signs all come out Cheating losing liars. I looked over there and I said are you kidding me? I caught I'm um, excuse me. I said I tried to hold it, but if I, I couldn't hold it anymore I had to go to the bathroom. She literally said to me you didn't have to go to the bathroom. I heard the window open. Would you have to give her a kiss goodnight? I mean, that literally, by going to the bathroom, which, number one, she said I did not go, have to go to the bathroom. I did, because the rule is I have to keep the bedroom door open and the bathroom door open so she can literally hear if I go to the bathroom. She said, I heard the window open. I, you didn't go to the bathroom. I did not open any window. Um, as a matter of fact, it was about 20 degrees that night. I went to the bathroom. She, she should have been able to clearly hear it. Uh, the TV was off. There was no radio on. Both doors were wide open. I said, are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me right now? So, of course, she said, get your shit and get out of my house. So, lately, I have been going um, on my psychiatrist and my counselor's um, advice. When she says leave, leave. Um, call her out on her bluff. She tells you to leave then take advantage of it and leave. And every time she said, oh, you're just going to leave that quick? Oh, no, you're not leaving. You're going to stay. So I explained to her, no, I am going to leave. Because if I don't, you're going to stay here and you're going to abuse me all night, call me names and keep me up all night. And I have the right not to listen to it. And at the same time, I think it's time that you need to have some space and maybe reflect on um, what exactly just happened. And sometimes I'll tell her, um, sometimes I, I forget, but I have told her, you know, maybe if you realize, um, you know, the reality that I have to go to the bathroom and this is ridiculous um, and tell me not to leave, I won't. Um, but if you're going to have an episode like this and tell me to leave, I'm going to leave because, you know, every single time there has not been a time that you literally will call me every name in the book and 
pull, push all my buttons, talk about my family, talk about dead relatives, um, make me feel a complete shit and worthless, and um, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And, you know, when I do leave, it takes a few days for the episode to go down, and, you know, then I go back. Um, but anyways, to refer back to um, verywellmind.com, um, it says here, for example, a memory or an image of a past experience, uh, like a traumatic event or a loss, can trigger intense emotions and other BPD symptoms. The memory does not necessarily need to distress one of the trigger symptoms. Some people are triggered by memories of good times from the past, which can sometimes be a reminder that things are not as good now. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, it also says how to trigger, I'm sorry, how to manage BPD triggers. Triggers are highly individual. So the first step in managing triggers is to know the particular events, situations, or thoughts, or memories that trigger your outbursts or anger or impulsiveness. To determine what your triggers are, try an exercise. Um, but, well, it has a separate link for that. It can help you identify and deal with your worst triggers. Now, obviously, this is talking about the you know, pretty much talking to the person with BPD, but I'm just reading it verbatim. It says, once you have learned your most troubling triggers, you have a couple of options. First, you can figure out whether a particular trigger can be avoided. For example, if you know that watching a certain movie, oh my god, I just talked about that, excuse me for interrupting, um, a certain movie um, that always triggers you, you can choose not to watch that movie. Many triggers, however, can't be avoided so easily. If you find that some of your triggers cannot be avoided, you can develop a plan for coping, and that includes developing a plan of action, seeing a therapist, and learning to gradually approach your triggers. A therapist can help you learn to express your emotions in a way that doesn't push people that you love away, which leaves you feeling abandoned or rejected, and thus triggered. So, you know, there right there um, pretty much confirms, you know, what my therapist and my doctor had suggested. You know, um, if you you know, if you don't act on those triggers, uh, you won't impulsively tell me to leave, and I won't leave. Um, thus, feeling abandoned and, um, you know, feeling lonely and rejected. Um, you know, and it goes back to the where I try to fix my wife. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you can't fix her, which is true. Uh, if she wants to be fixed, she'll get help for herself, which is true. She does get help for herself. Um, there's one medication she's not taking that she should. But at the same time, you know, I feel it is my duty to help her. Um, you know, when I took our vows and I said, for better, for worse, richer, for poor, sickness and in health. Sickness doesn't necessarily mean getting the flu or getting cancer. Um, sickness can be mental health sickness. You know, I didn't think of it at that time, but obviously it is. You know, it doesn't define any specific type of sickness, um, but it is a sickness and the fact remains that. So... You know, if you love somebody enough like I do, you know, and granted, yes, it is not fair to take the abuse and try to fix it. People say it's not your job. No, it is not my job, but it is my duty to try to help. Um, you know, I understand that most people with BPD, um, but I'll refer especially to my wife. She's lost. She doesn't understand this, and she has told me um, she'll get into these modes of, trusting me and having enough confidence to actually dig into her disorder and explain to me, you know, I don't know why I act like this. And she actually said to me last week, I don't know why I believe you're cheating on me when you're laying right next to me in the bed. And I looked at her and I said, you know what, I'm really proud of you for saying that because that shows you know it's not right. 
And she did mention she was going to ask her counselor about that. Now, whether she does not, I don't know, because I don't go in the therapist room with her. I have a few times, but, you know, I have asked her before, um, you know, before she'd go into her appointment, you know, I'm just reminding you, you said you're going to talk to your therapist about this, and I really would appreciate you would, and if you'd like to talk about it after, that'd be great, considering it's affecting both of us. And there's been times where, you know, the, the stupidest triggers, and like I said, let me remind you that she has psychosis along with this, and some of her triggers are, um, I'll crumple a piece of paper and I'll toss it to the trash barrel, and um, whether I miss or not, she thinks that somehow setting off a signal, um, you know, that somebody's looking in and by me doing that as a signal for them to, you know, anything from uh, I'll be there in five minutes or um, I'm being delayed. I know it sounds weird and strange, but, you know, people with this disorder and psychosis or, you know, schizophrenia, um, paranoid schizophrenia, these things are real to them. We may think they're odd, strange, crazy. This is reality. They live with this stuff every day. Um, you know, it's almost like if you see somebody with polio, the way they walk and say, you know, look at the way they wobble, <laughs> you, know, you know, laugh at it. You wouldn't do that. You understand that's not their fault. And you feel bad for them. Um, a quadriplegic, you, you know, if, oh my God, I can only imagine what it's like to only move your head or, or your mouth, you know, for the rest of your life, not even be able to wipe your own butt. You know, it must be embarrassing. It must, it must be horrible. Well, even though somebody with BPD can walk, talk, um, drive a car, jump on a trampoline, go to an amusement park, ride on a carousel. But unfortunately, they believe things that aren't really there, and most of the time they know it, and they understand as well, it's not right. You know, when the good side comes out with them, they're, they're two different people. They understand it's weird and strange, and it's hard for them to talk about it because they know it's so odd to us, and most of us say they're crazy by them admitting it. A lot of people use it against them, and they feel if they bring it out, they're also admitting, um, you know, what people say. They'll think, you know, people are going to think I'm crazy. I'm going to get locked up. I'm odd. I'm different. Um, it's it's something they struggle with, and not only the, you know, the thing is the way I look at it. You know, a therapist or a doctor, they're dealing with all these people with different disorders by textbook. If they don't personally have it, they cannot say, I can imagine how they feel. They're going on what they've read, what they've learned. Now me, on the other hand, if I were to get a degree and go by textbook, I think I personally would be better because of the fact that I've learned about it through research um, and textbook and professionals and as well as experiencing it. The only problem is there's three parts to it. Learning about it, experiencing it, and having it. I'll tell you right now, I would not wish this disorder on my worst enemy. Um, it's rough, it's tough, and, and they feel un uncomfortable in their own skin. Especially this disorder when they um, aren't splitting, um, which one of my segments I'll be talking about splitting. It, they know it's not normal, and it takes somebody they really trust to start explaining this stuff to them. And my wife knows I, I don't tease her, I don't. When she confides in me, I don't use it against her because I know she'll never open up to me again. And um, anyways, back to triggers. Um, it's even worse when they have psychosis because their delusions um, are reality to them. Um, it, when she thinks I'm cheating on her, she'll tell me 
um, the lady's married. She has children. She'll even go in depth and tell me what the lady drives, a black SUV um, with New Hampshire plates. Um, um, she'll tell me how she's um, heavyweight, um, got a wedding ring, and blonde. I mean, she literally will go into detail about every little thing. She had told me one time um, she started singing the song New York, New York uh, from Frank Sinatra. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, you must love New York. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, your little girlfriend with her New York plates? Oh, my God, here we go. She must have seen a lady. Or actually, she did see a lady uh, in traffic, and she had New York plates, and she kept looking over at us. Well, when the lady, uh, you know, um, started accelerating going further, she happened to know she had New York plates. And, you know, later on, she had told me about that. And um, when they talk about external triggers, um, not so much past experiences, but we were in Walmart one day, and I, uh, the aisle I was in, I, I guess the, um, the cashier next to us that we weren't even dealing with, supposedly had turned her, um, her ID badge around. I didn't see any of this. Well, my wife walked out of the aisle and was behind the cashier's desk when they used to have DVDs on display there. And she was looking at them, and I was all done grabbing the bags, and I said, Hello, Michelle, um, we're leaving. Well, all of a sudden, she screams out and starts walking down the aisle. Okay, Brad, I'll be waiting outside for you. And I mean, screamed it out and everybody was looking at her. I'm like, what the hell just happened? So we get outside and she just starts blurting off. You know, that fat bitch, you know, you're leaving me for her and this and that. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you talking about? It took almost a month um, when she was in a good mood. And I said, I, I just have to ask you, what was that all about? And she said, oh, didn't you see the register next to us? That girl happened to turn her badger on so I couldn't see her name. I said, what? I said, obviously, if that was somebody I knew, wouldn't I have gone in their aisle? She said, oh, what? You know, you went in the other one just to throw me off. It's always a damned if I do, damned if I don't situation. Um, just like I, I remember one time um, in a place we were living, we always used to go up the same street um, to get to our street. It, it was like the, the easiest way. It was the first street you turn up to get to our house. And I, I, you know, when I drive, I look all over the place. I, I don't really like realize and stare at anything in particular. You just look around when you drive and it's normal as far as I'm concerned. And um, then one day we're going up that street and she beat the, she reached over and beat the home while I was driving. How's that about? She's like, mm, don't worry about it. After the third time going up that street, her doing that, I stopped and it's okay. Now you're going to tell me what the hell are you beeping at? She goes, oh, every time we go up this street, you look over at that house. So I just figured I'd beep. I'm like, what are you? Oh, my God. I didn't even bother fighting. I just shook my head. Well, the next day, um, we're driving. So I passed that street and took the second street after that to go up to our house. And she goes, do you think I'm stupid? I'm like, oh, my God, what now? She goes, oh, you're going up a different street now? I go, yeah, because every time I go up that street, you know, you say I'm looking over at somebody's house. She goes, oh, no, you're going to go up this street to throw me off? So again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, you know, it's examples like that. And I know most people shake their head, giggle and laugh. That's because it does seem silly. It, it, it's not normal to our language. Um, the book by Dr. John Gray called uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus talks about the um, language between a man and a woman of, uh, you know, for example, when a woman comes home with a bad day from work. She wants to sit down and 
just get it off her chest. You know, my boss is being a real bitch today. Uh, she gave me a load of work, and, you know, I mentioned to her that, you know, there's a lot of work there, and she said, oh, you know, were you going to complain? Nobody else complains. You know, something like that. And a woman doesn't look for an answer or a solution. They just want to get it off their chest. And it makes it work if the husband's like, well, you know, this is what you should do. And usually the woman will be like, oh, you're going to be just like her? So basically what it says is that's our language barrier between men and women. You know, they, they do something and expect a different, you know, result. Women just want to get it off their chest. Now, when a man comes home and starts bitching, you know, my boss is a real asshole today. You know, I got ahead of my work and, you know, it's not good enough. He gave me a load more work. You know, I thought I'd get a little bit of a break. Next thing you know, I'm doing more work than the guy next to me. Now, the man will sit there and the woman don't say anything. And he'll be like, hello, you know, do you have anything to say? They, on the other hand, are looking for some type of solution. So that's what his book talks about is these different, you know, bears of relationships. Now, I did read that book, uh, but also in the back of my mind, you know, <laughs> those relationship barriers between a man and a woman is completely different with somebody with BPD. Normally, those kind of language barriers are completely different with somebody with BPD. The point of what I'm trying to say is they have a different language than we do. You know, we can't always laugh and giggle at what they're saying because it, it adds fuel to the fire. You know, you have to kind of learn to either say something um, rational and then shut your mouth. Um, because if you say something rational, you're kind of throwing a little bit of fuel in the fire, but you're backing off. Because if you don't back off, you know, rational um, or rationalization doesn't work with them. So you can think, okay, I'm going to rationalize with them. They fight back and you just say, oh my God, I tried explaining it to you. Obviously, you're nuts. You know, you can't do it that way. It's, like I said, loving them enough to be able to try and back off rather than immediately calling them crazy or trying to be normal and then calling them crazy. You know, I've learned over the years, it's, you know, I, I take every situation, um, you know, individually. You know, it depends on, oh my God, all kinds of factors. So either I'll rationalize with her back off, um, or sometimes just not even say anything at all. Just to let her know, it's not bothering me, it's not worth it. But then again, then sometimes she'll make it worse because she wants to get a rise out of me. So, you know, I'm sure anybody listening to this is probably thinking, wow, this is a lot of work. Well, let me tell you, it is a lot of work. You know, it's like building a house of cars and just somebody walking over and blowing it every time, crashing it. Um, if you can only imagine building a house and somebody um, pushing a bulldozer through it and, and, you know, smashing it down, rebuilding it, and as soon as you finish, somebody smashes it down, and again and again and again, and that's what it is. As soon as you think you've got the relationship under control, got them under control, got them to finally say, you know what, I do love you, I'm sorry for doing all this, and now later doing it all over again, it's it's a constant merry-go-round. And yeah, well, let me say, first of all, I, I'm not trying to blame you know, her or um, trying to tell anybody to, you know, completely blame any of your, um, you know, financial or, you know, lifestyle, anything, all this distress on that person with the disorder. I'll tell you right now, I'm not perfect. I have um, um, bipolar. I almost said borderline. <laughs> but I almost have, um, I do, I have bipolar. I have anxiety, distress. I have social phobia. I've got disorders myself. Um, and... I'm also human, 
and there's many times even now it's so hard uh, to hold back biting your tongue I literally bit my tongue so many times and said God please don't let me say anything back and she'll hit a button she'll talk about a dead relative or a live relative she know she knows and 99% of the people with BPD knew the buttons to push. They will push every button until they hit the right one. And they won't stop until they get it, until you finally burst out. And that's their satisfaction. Well, I should say most of them. At least, well, I should say at least my wife. She will go until she pushes that button. And it's not so much she's looking for me to fight back. It's her satisfaction of knowing, ha, I hit the right button. That's what it is. They're not looking for a fight. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the narcissism in them and the controlling part about them is, is you know, it, number one, it's all about me. I'm in control and I'm going to get you upset. And, you know, uh, there's been times where I have bitten my tongue. Not many, but a few. Grab my stuff after she said leave and left without saying a word. And then I get the text all night long. And then it's another battle of not wanting to respond to the text because they're just as nasty <laughs> as verbally being told. So there's been many times I try not to respond, and I do. So then again, she knows she got me. Whether I was there or not, she finally uh, succeeded in um, pushing my button and, you know, getting me upset. Uh, but there has been many times lately I've ignored it. And again, it, it, nothing works to the point of getting them out of there um, their uh, their episode i've learned most of the time it's just time when i've left there'll be a few days later she'll text me um you know i, I made um uh some chili tonight i i made a, a lot to feed a, uh, an army you know do you want to come up and have some you know kind of like an excuse it's always an excuse or like i was moving stuff and uh, i banged my knee and it hurts really bad and i really got to get this stuff done it's almost like a cry out for me to say, oh, okay, I'll come up. It is never, and I will say literally never, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or even just, I'm sorry, do you want to come up? Because by them doing that, they're admitting they did something wrong. And anybody who knows narcissism, they don't do anything wrong. Anything they do, if it is wrong, it's your fault. So why should they apologize for something they didn't do wrong? And that's the way it always is. Always has been, always will be. Never an apology. Even when I have asked her straight out, you know, you didn't even say sorry. That is a trigger as well. That is a huge trigger. If I ever ask her to say sorry, it never happens. It doesn't. Um, but anyways, triggers are very, very, oh my God, it's a game. It's a hit or miss. It really is. And like I said, sometimes a trigger um, that used to be really bad now doesn't exist at all and then there's triggers that happen now that has never happened and it's like you wonder what the hell triggered that but like i said if you, you're with somebody long enough and you know the emotional um uh, scars that they've endured in the past whether it's some kind of abuse or neglect or uh something you know traumatic you stay away from anything that may um remind them of that you know uh, for example if it was sexual assault you don't want to watch a movie that refers to sexual assault you try to stay away from that um you know example you know i think you kind of get the point of what i'm saying but again yeah it's a lot of work you literally if, if you vow yourself to them you literally have to 
walk on eggshells. You have to think about everything you do, everything you say, um, everything you, you try to do for them. It, you have to stop and think. And, and it is frustrating. And I have actually developed ticks. Um, if anybody doesn't know what a tick is, it can be anything from your shoulders having to move, um, your legs not being able to stand still, um, anything. There's, there's multiple kinds of ticks. Mine happens to be not keeping my legs still, um, rocking back and forth, my shoulders moving. Um, I believe it's, uh, I haven't really t talked to my therapist about it yet, because um, a lot of times by the time I ask her, I don't have them because they, they come and go. But, you know, even though we're creatures of habit, we're not designed to stop and think about everything, everything, <laughs> before we do it, like even down, down our hand movements. But to stop and think, you know, I have to go to the bathroom, should I go? If I go, are these are repercussions, or, or before you even move your hand to make any kind of hand gesture, like go to rub your nose, um, stop and think about it before you say something, before you watch something. We're not designed to do that. You know, when we walk, we don't think about ooh, every step before we move our foot. You just do it. You know, you don't stop before you and think. You know, before you rub your nose, or before you blow your nose, or just get up and go to the bathroom. Um, but when you or doing like I am, walking on eggshells, you literally have to think about everything. And I mean from the point of going to make a coffee or asking if you um, want the, to make dinner for them. Even a, um, a gracious um, gesture. I had one night, I asked her, I said, you know, um, I just want to thank you for being like really, really nice the last couple of days. It's been awesome. You've been like really sweet. I want to make you supper tonight. Um... What do you think about chicken cordon bleu? And she's like, no, you know, not really. So, and I remember this night exactly. I happened to go to the bathroom. I came back in and she goes, don't you ever ask me to have that again. I said, why? What, what is wrong with chicken cordon bleu? She says, I don't know. Just out of the blue. Is that something you make for your little girlfriend? I, what are you talking about? She goes, I don't know. You haven't made to ask that in years. All of a sudden you want to make it. So, you know, that's my point of damn if you damn if you don't. Um, it, 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 it's frustrating. Like, again, I would have never thought of that. You know, here's a new trigger. Something I haven't done in a long time. I really shouldn't be asking it now. So that's one more thing i got to carry on my, my mind of, you know, stopping and thinking first. And then the other thing that's always damned if you damn if you don't is um, there's been times I... Um, Oh, let me think. I've gone to the house, uh, back to her after an episode, and I'll get there at 8 o'clock at night. And she'll be like, um, you know, why'd you come at 8 o'clock? Why didn't you come at 4 o'clock? And um, if I've gotten there at 4 o'clock, she'll say, why didn't you come at 2 o'clock? So what I've been doing now, and she says, why didn't you come at 8? And I said, well, because if I got here at 4, you would have asked why I didn't get here at 2. So I didn't come at 2, I came at 4, so I decided to get here at 8. And... I know that kicks off a sarcasm um, episode, but I try to tell her, and so then before she kicks off with that fight, I'll be like, you know, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but you know what? I didn't even put any thought into it. I had things to do. Um, I really was going to come at two, but then I had stuff to do, and then I had more stuff to do. So when I got finished everything, then I come up. There was no, no rhyme or reason behind why I came up at, at eight. If I came up at six, you would have told me why I didn't come up at four. So, again, it makes them think you're manipulating them and understanding uh, too much about why she's asking that. 
so it is a constant battle. Um, but anyways, this episode is now up to 32 minutes. Um, I'm trying to keep them down to 30 minutes. Um, but as far as triggers, if I was you, um, again, read a little on it, go on Google, type in um, borderline personality disorder triggers, and a lot of these sites will refer to um, you being the person with BPD. So, um, but either way, it doesn't matter. It kind of, you know, gives you some more insight. Um, but again, if you are living with somebody that has BPD, triggers is a huge, huge thing. Um, and if you can learn about triggers, it'll drastically reduce the amount of episodes um, to come out. Uh, that I do know for a fact, because there's been times I know for a fact um, certain triggers would have set her off and I've put them back. Now again, that is giving in to them. It's hard to say, you know, again, everybody will say, by you doing that, it's not fair. Why is it okay that they can just jump up and go to the bathroom every time? Or they can just crumple up a piece of paper and throw it. You know what? I, I've tried the reverse psychology and have said, hey, how come you get to go to the bathroom at this time? Um, you know, you, you'll tell me, oh, you just have to go to the bathroom at 1233. Well, you just went at 1234 and it's okay. Um, well, you just crumpled up paper and threw it. And that's another trigger. By doing that, they'll say, you know, they don't have to give you an answer. They have their own reasoning, you know, so you'll never win that battle as well. I've tried it. I've done it. I've, I've done it out of just regular questioning. I've done it out of being a smart ass. Um, you know, because sometimes there'll be a song that comes on the radio and I'll start singing it. And she has literally said, oh, is that you and your girlfriend's little song? So she'll put on like a song or that particular song that she teased me about. And I said, well, wait a minute. How come you get to listen to that song? Is that you and your little boyfriends? And again, it just sets off a fight. You know, again, we're only human. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get so frustrated. I will do that um, just to get it off my chest. You know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with that personally. I don't care who tells me. You know, it's just, I don't know. Maybe I want to make them realize, you know, it's not okay to just, you know, start a fight because I just innocently throw a piece of paper to the garbage and miss the barrel. Or because I asked you if you want chicken corn on blue. You know, I was trying to be fucking nice. You know, it, it's rough. It's tough. You know what? But if you love them that much, this is the hell you go through. And yeah, it sucks. I pray to God that you should get better. It sucks. It, it really sucks. And I feel bad for anybody else that's going through it because I'll tell you right now, I can honestly look you in the face and say, I know what you're going through. It's just that when you love them so much, you just want to crawl on your knees or lay in a bed of nails for them. And yet still you'd say, I'll take my life for you, knowing that they wouldn't. And they'd push you in front of the bullet instead of taking the bullet. Or I'd push them away from the bullet and take it. It sucks. It's unfair. But anyways, thank you again for listening. I don't know if this helped you or not. Sure as hell helped me. But again, well, hopefully you'll listen to more of my episodes and go ahead and leave any comments or, you know, um, hopefully it helped you. Thank you again for listening. You've been listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. I hope you enjoyed the show. And please check out my many other episodes. I hope you get some beneficial suggestions from my experiences. And remember, we're all responsible for our own choices. 
I'd like to remind you that if you have someone in your life with BPD, try to understand them and love them as much as you can because they find it so hard to be able to understand themselves and love themselves. So thank you again and have a happy life.